um, we're having our lead pastor, Jason, if you don't know, he's on a sabbatical. He's taking a couple months break from pastoral ministry, recharging, resting in the Lord. And so we are so fortunate to have um, just a bunch of friends come and serve us. And it's so good to just kind of hear the diversity of different pastors who love our church. Um, and so I hope that encourages you. It certainly has been encouraging me. Let me tell you a little bit about Pastor Steve King. He is um, just a longtime friend of Portico. He has helped us out in a lot of different ways. We exist as a church, not by our own strength, not because we're a great church or we have a great pastoral team. I think we do, but we exist because of the grace of God. And that comes to us through people and through the rest of the church here in this area. And so Pastor Steve is such a huge part of that. He is a mentor to Jason, um, to Pastor Jason, and um, they just love each other and are co-laborers in the Lord together. Um, pastor Steve King is um, formerly the senior pastor of Cherry Devil Baptist Church from 1983 to 2019, 36 years of ministry there. And he's now into in a emeritus role um, and has kind of seen the transition um, to a new senior pastor and overseen that. And it's just such a great example of what churches should do, healthy, healthy church ministry, what that looks like. Um, he's been married to the love of his life, Maybell, for 48 years. They have two sons, Joshua and Caleb, a delightful daughter-in-law, Naomi, and a granddaughter, Elise. Um, again, like I said, Pastor Steve and our Pastor Jason have been friends for a long time. And we're just so privileged to have him here with us and to have Cherrydale and Pastor Steve um, in the area serving the church and the city together. So please extend a warm welcome with me to Pastor Steve King. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> Good morning, Portico church family and friends. I am delighted to be with you. And it's true, Jason and I are very close friends. We love your church. Cherrydale Baptist, I send you greetings from that church. We regularly pray for you. And we are thrilled that we can co-labor together in reaching Arlington for Christ and around the world. It's a great thing. I also want you to know that your church has been around 11 years. And I've known your pastors from day one. And Jason Connor always gives good reports on y'all. So I have a very high opinion of you because of your pastor giving good reports on you. And with me today, this good-looking guy on the front row who's going to stand up and smile at you right now, <laughs> That's, he didn't stand up, but, <laughs> but he will later. His name is Roger Tanius, and he's a pastoral intern with us. Uh, he's a great brother. He has a great opinion of you. You know why? Because Jason gave a good report on you, and then I passed it along to him. So y'all don't mess this up today, all right? <laughs> now, Jason gave me permission to speak on anything I wanted to. And so I made a list of about 10 possibilities and kept praying and praying, and the Lord made it crystal clear. Do this. Now, I had a little wrestling match with the Lord, but he won. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 11 through 19, a passage maybe you've never even noticed. It's kind of obscure, but it's packed with life-giving, helpful truth. 2 Corinthians 12, 11 through 19, and it may not be obvious right off the bat on what I'm going to speak on, 
But I'm going to talk to you about the only tool that grows sharper with use, but it's always soft. I'm going to talk to you about this tool that grows sharper with use, but it's always soft, and it's only a few inches long, but it can destroy an eight-foot giant like that. I want to talk to you about this tool that undresses us in public without ever touching our clothes. It has the power of life and death in it. And every one of us carry it around with us. It's our tongue. And I want to talk to you about our tongue in one specific area. And it's how we use it in one specific area. Giving bad reports on others or receiving bad reports on other people. And I believe the Lord led this to me because he loves this church and you have a good reputation and you pick up the spirit of warmth and love here. But I want to tell you something. We're in a culture where bad reports are growing like crazy. And you let that infect the church through just one of you. You can wipe this place out. So I have a sober warning from Scripture to the beloved Portico family. And I want to ask you before we go any further that you would listen to this message this way. Do not sit there thinking... Well, I'm going to get so-and-so to hear this one. They need it. Say, Lord, speak to me. Oh, God, put a guard over my tongue. Let me be a part of the healing that you want to spread through this church, this community, and all over the world. It can start with just one person and a church family who does this power of God unleashed. So, spreading bad reports, listening to bad reports, it's extremely common, isn't it? Just subtle little conversations around the water fountain at work, whatever. Did you know? Have you heard? You're on their team? Oh, man. Uh, showing feeds about people on information that doesn't need to be shared. It's on your social media feed. Do you have a reputation that people's reputations are safe with you? Or do you quickly spread rumors and gossip and never check it out? A bad report. Spiritually, people use it. I just want you to be able to pray more intelligently. Give me a break. I went through the Bible and looked up the word slanderer, accuser, gossip. Those all live together under the umbrella of bad reports. Do you know the word slanderer is literally in Greek diabolic? And it's used 37 times in the New Testament, 34 directly attached to Satan himself. 
He is the accuser of the brethren. He is always accusing. But did you realize if Jesus Christ appeared right now and he came to you, I know exactly what he would be doing. He would be on his knees beside you interceding for you. Do you know how I know that? Hebrews 7.25 says he ever lives to make intercession for you. Aren't you grateful? The Holy Spirit never stops praying for you. So if you're full of the Holy Spirit and Jesus is on the throne of your life, here's the primary way it'll show up. You're an intercessor, not an accuser. And giving and receiving bad reports, you in advance say, that's not a part of me. That's the kingdom of darkness. No. So before we go any further, decide today, before this message is over, in your heart, Lord, speak to me. Make a covenant with your mouth. Now, what is a bad report? Here's a definition, biblically filtered, trying to give you the essence of what a bad report is. It's damaging somebody else's reputation with information that does not need to be shared. Now, this takes discernment. There are times when you need to share negative information, but does it need to be? And does it damage people's reputation? Secondly, a bad report is when you're sharing information that doesn't need to be shared and you haven't checked the facts. It's just hearsay. You've never checked. You haven't examined your motives. And it's somebody who tears down other people's reputation. You don't check first. You just spread it. Now, we can do this verbally. We can do it in print. We can do it with a shrug, a look, rolling of the eyes. There are all kinds of ways to spread garbage on other people. And here's the bottom line and a prayer that I pray often. Lord, change my heart so that what comes out of my mouth builds people up. Their reputations are safe with me. Listen, I've been in my church 38 years. I could wipe them out because <laughs> I know. But it's safe with me because I've put a guard on my tongue. And I hope people feel safe with you. If you have this right spirit in your church, people who are hurting and carrying deep burdens feel safe. But if this gets in a church, it's over. Unbelievers are repelled. Believers aren't built up. Now, I told you this young man on the front row is going to stand up. He's going to do even more than that. He's going to come up, <laughs> and he's going to share a few words with you. Please welcome Roger Tanius. Lord, deliver me today from being a bad reporter and make me a good one. This message is already so convicting, isn't it? Who, who here is being convicted? It's, it's a good thing, right? It means the Holy Spirit's operating inside of you. 
And, and before I even, even talk about, Pastor Steve asked me to share a little bit about this. It's a good thing that we have the Holy Spirit working within us, right? It's a good thing because, you know, the definition of bad reporting here, I mean, it's really easy when it's a blatant form of slander, right? Or an obvious gossip. But what about subtle forms of bad reporting? Here's one that I'm thinking about. Road trip. Anyone here like road trips? Love road trips. So I took a road trip. I'm on a road trip. I'm kind of, I put that airplane thing on my neck to fall asleep. And I'm chilling out and sleeping. And then I kind of wake up and the car that I'm in is filled with gossip. It reeks of gossip. And so I have a problem here because I'm the only one not talking. I feel pressured to join in and gossip as well. But worst, I'm afraid to stand up and say it's wrong. What about those subtle forms of bad reporting? Pastor Steve mentioned a bad report is damaging people's reputation by sharing negative information about them with others who do not need to know it. Instantly, what stands out in this definition is the notion of damaging people's reputation. None of us want to do that intentionally. But what about when the damaging is done unknowingly or even mistakenly? Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is where we need God's help. And thankfully, God has not abandoned us. You see, God is our Father, He's our Father. And he's made us his children. And he's given us himself, the Holy Spirit, to dwell inside of us and to shepherd us gently, shepherd us and convict us in situations that are teetering on bad reporting. And another thing he does is he makes us long for good reports. He does that inside of us. He makes us long for good reports. Join me now in looking at the second part of the definition Steve shared. A bad report is sharing negative information about others without first checking the facts, examining your motives, or going in private to the one you trash. That takes a lot of work, doesn't it? I was having um, dinner with a friend of mine, and he was sharing some stuff. And I just said, brother, have you gone to the sources? he's like, yeah, of course I did. <laughs> of course I did. It takes a lot of work to go back and check the sources, doesn't it? Why would we do that? Again, brothers and sisters, I want to remind us that the Holy Spirit is the presence of God inside of you. God living inside of you shepherding us into all truth so that how we live our very lives become an act of worship. I love that when Paul says that in Romans, right? That your very life is worship. It's not just what we did here on Sunday. And, and by the way, your church has some of the best worship that I've, I've encountered. I couldn't stay still there. It was just amazing. But that happens Monday through Saturday, and this is how it happens. We delight in God being sovereign over our life Monday through Saturday, which means that we allow him to speak to us Monday through Saturday. 
Listen to the words of God our Savior as he describes the job description of the Holy Spirit. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. As we listen and prepare to go deeper into this message that Steve has for us, come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Second Corinthians 12, 11 through 19. If you're taking notes, make this your go-to passage on the issue of giving or receiving bad reports. It all builds down like an upside-down triangle to verse 19, which has gems in it. And here's what this passage, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul that the Corinthian church has to say. First of all, it shows you clearly the three negative consequences that will always form cancerous tumors in your relationships. Always. Three things. If you listen to or give bad reports. And then you come to verse 19 and he gives you a path. You follow this path and these guardrails on that path, you make that part of your life, it'll transform you. You'll line up with the intercessor, not the accuser. You will be on God's redemption and restoration team. It'll change your tongue and your relationships. So let's walk through it. First of all, the negative consequences that will always invade your relationships, but let's set up the context. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. Acts chapter 18 tells us he founded this church. And he stayed in that city for a year and six months. He knew them extremely well. And when he left, false teachers came in behind him. And the church is threatened to walk away from the gospel and from the apostle Paul, hanging by a thread for one reason. The false teachers came riding in on the chariots of bad reports on Paul. And they twisted and spinned things about Paul so that the heartbreaking thing is these very people he led to Christ and labored with for a year and a half believed the bad reports. And three horrible things happened. Here was what the bad reports on Paul were. First of all, they said, you know, he's a coward. He can write a bold letter to you, but when he's in your presence, he's meek and mild. Coward. They also said, you know, he's unreliable. I mean, he said three times he was going to visit us, and he's changed his schedule every time. You can't depend on his word. They said, this was really nasty. He's ugly and is a terrible public speaker. And in the Greek culture, they love good looks and eloquent speakers. So he's ugly, and he's not a good speaker. And then they accused him of lining his pockets 
were the collection he was taking to help the suffering saints in Jerusalem. And worst of all, they said he can't be a true apostle, and here's why. He won't take your money. Now, we will take all the money you'll give us, but because he won't take your money, he's got to be a false apostle. Now, the heartbreaking thing is the church believed that garbage. And so Paul is writing them to woo them back. And here's how we benefit. Three horrible things that will always, always, always happen if you listen to or give bad reports. So let's look at them one at a time. The first one is in verses 11 and 12. Listen to what he says. I've become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most intimate apostles, even though I am a nobody. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Do you see it? Here is the true apostle. He lived it among them, proved it with his godly behavior. They believe bad reports, and now they've got blinders on. They can't see his goodness. That's what happens when you believe bad reports on people. All you see, you're blinded to the good in them. And when you think of that person you've heard garbage on, all you think is, and the label, totally blinded to the good, and you lose perspective, it destroys relationships, and it corrodes your soul, and it creates a very unsafe environment. Second thing that happens, you begin to question the motives of that person you heard the garbage on, and you don't trust them. You second-guess everything they do. Look at verses 13 through 16. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you Forgive me this wrong. He's using sarcasm, and here's what he means. I wouldn't take your money. And the false teachers are twisting that to say, therefore, I'm not a true apostle. I never took your money. I was a tent maker. That was for your benefit. But now you're questioning my whole motives. You can't trust me. Here for the third time I'm ready to come to you and I'll not be a burden to you. I do not seek what is yours, but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. He was their spiritual father. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you the more, am I loved less? Because they don't trust him. They heard the bad reports. When he shows sacrificial love, they love him less because they don't trust him anymore because they've heard the garbage. Be that as I may, I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. It's using sarcasm. When you listen to bad reports on others, not only do you have blinders on and you can't see the good in them anymore, now you mistrust everything. And you might spread the garbage about them because you mistrust them. Third thing that always happens, in addition to questioning motives, and just stop right there about questioning motives, and let's probe a little bit how this can destroy a church. 
I'm the old guy. I know lots of churches. I've seen a whole bunch of them disintegrate. Breaks my heart. Similar pattern in most. People in the church go home, and then during the week with their children, they're taking pot shots at others in the church, not realizing what they've done. Now your children are going to grow up thinking of those church people who they don't like, and I don't want to be like them. Or pastors who go home and raise their children and their deacon so-and-so did this and that member did this and raising children who can't stand the local church and wonder what went wrong. Here's what we need to take to heart. You're going to give an account for every word and you're going to reap what you sow now. How would you like to line up with hell? I'll tell you how to do it. Be an accuser of the brethren. He'll team you up with you and rip your church to shreds. And it'll be your fault. How would you line up with the intercessor? A spirit of grace and humility and openness and freedom. You can't keep people out of a church like that. It all comes down to our heart and our tongue. And every one of us are responsible. One of our elders, one of my very close friends, is an African-American brother. Ten years ago, I first met him, and he and his wife came, and we instantly hit it off, and they were thinking of leaving their church and coming to ours, so I probed a little bit, and I found out they were at odds with their pastor. And here's what I said. I'd love to have you here, but let me tell you what you have to do. This is not optional. Go make it right with your pastor. Get his blessing, and you're welcome here. If you won't do that, you can't come. Good news. Went back to their pastor, reconciled. I became really good friends with their pastor, and this African-American pastor did something that blew my mind. He had a worship service and literally commissioned them to come join our church family. And that brother's flourishing, but it started by nipping it in the bud. We don't do bad reports around here. And we believe the kingdom of God is to honor each other. That's how you build it up. You be an intercessor. Last one, 17 through 19, third thing is that you will spread mistrust to their associates. So here's how it works. I hear a bad report. Now I'm blinded. I can't see you're good. I don't trust your motives. And anybody associated with you, I don't trust them either. It just spreads like gangrene. And look at what he says in verses 17 and 18. Certainly I have not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you. Have I? I urged Titus to go, and I sent the brother with him. Titus didn't take any advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? See, now Titus and Paul's associates, we don't trust them either. And the enemy has a foothold. So if you're in a workplace or in a relationship where bad reports are flying everywhere, this is where you live. Blinders. 
mistrust, garbage dump to anybody associated. Who would want to be associated with a group like that? And churches have this all over them. Why? Because we don't live in what I'm about to show you. And this is all building down to this. Verse 19. Before we get there, I just want to press a little harder. Whenever you listen to and give bad reports, and that becomes the norm, it always, always, always unleashes destruction. It's like saying to Satan, we've opened the door of the church to you, march in, you're welcome here. He'll rip it to shreds. Why? Because it creates an environment where you're not safe. If you share something, it'll be shared. So people now hide, and they pretend, and they do fake church. If you do this, you lose the ability to build other people up. You don't know how to do it anymore. Unbelievers are repelled. They label you hypocrites. They want nothing to do with you. 37 times in the New Testament, that word diabolic, it means accuser, accuser, accuser. 1 Timothy chapter 3 says that anyone who would lead in the church, here's the qualification, you can't be double-tongued. What does double-tongued mean? To your face, turn around, crucify you. No double-tongued. You have to be people of integrity. And the warning, if this isn't stopped, it will destroy the church. In my very first church in Portland, Oregon, which was a growth accelerator on steroids, I inherited one that had been ripped to shreds by bad reports. And praise God, after seven years, it was healed. But I hired a new secretary, first one I'd ever had. And after about a year and a half, she was crying when I came into the office. And I said, what is up? And she said, I'm struggling if the faith is real. And I said, why? And she said, because I know some women in this church who say they've walked with God 40 years and they crucify people with their tongue in my presence. How could Christianity be real if they'd done it for 40 years? Praise God, we rescued that. You see, it's serious stuff. So here's what you have to ask yourself. Jesus saved us. He lives in this church. He is the intercessor. And here's the good news. God has great hope for all of us. He can change our hearts turn us into people that line up with the intercessor, not accuser, and we are on God's redemption and restoration team, and we make a difference in a dark world. We stand out. Look at verse 19. We've been building to this one. All this time you've been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it's in the sight of God that we've been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. Now, look what he's done. Here's the path in Christ. That shapes everything. Here are the guardrails on that path. We speak everything in the sight of God. 
And it's always for your upbuilding, beloved. That's to mark every Christian. My life is in Christ. Whatever I speak, it's in the sight of God, and it's all to build other people up. If that marks us, heaven will be unleashed. Now look at the very next verse. The very next verse. Here's what he's fighting to stop. I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find not what you want and may be found by you to not be what you wish, that perhaps there'll be strife, jealousy, anger, tempers, disputes, slander, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. How's he going to fight that? Verse 19, get on this path in Christ. Do you know how important that is? If you go through your New Testament, take a concordance and look up these phrases, in Christ, in him, in the Lord. You'll find it 160 times. If you go through all 160, you will discover 50 things that are true about you if you're a believer in Christ, your true identity. In Christ, we get brand new hearts. We get a brand new identity a brand new power of the Holy Spirit, a new purpose to live for the glory of God. In Christ changes you into being an intercessor, not an accuser. When I came to my church 38 years ago, it had been on a seven-year decline. Divided, building was run down, in debt, gossip, but I didn't know all of that. I didn't know what I was going to inherit. And so my first Sunday, first sermon, I'm praying, not knowing all this stuff, saying, God, what am I to speak on? And he made it crystal clear, one message, just ask a question. Are you an intercessor or an accuser? And then I gave an invitation. To my utter shock, the whole congregation came forward. Everybody, weeping, crying. I'm like, this is going to work. But that was 38 years ago. And that spirit of intercession is still in our church. And the reason we've had a healthy transition is because of that. I pray to God Portico will be in the same path. That you live in Christ. Did you know all of the commands in the New Testament to the believer in Christ, every one of them are rooted in, grounded in, shaped by who you are in Christ? Why should you forgive others? Because Christ forgave me. Why should I intercede for jerks? Because Christ intercedes for this jerk. Why should I give grace and the extra mile and the benefit of the doubt? Because Christ does that to me. Why should I be holy? Because I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit and my God is holy and he lives through me. It's to shape everything I do. The book of James, written by the half-brother of Jesus, mentions the tongue 25 times. And he's always making one point. James 1.26 is here's what he hammers at home. If you think you're a righteous religious person, and you don't bridle your tongue, your religion is worthless. Big zero, you don't have it. But if you're in Christ, he changes your heart, 
And the primary evidence is what comes out of your mouth. You undress your heart in public with your mouth. It's the primary way you know Jesus. Your heart changes. It's always that way. Now, I've been married to the sweetest woman on earth for 48 years, Maybelle. And I love the name Maybelle because she's the fifth in a long line of godly Maybells. I got the fifth, the last, and the best. <laughs> and the first Maybelle is an amazing story. May's great-great-grandfather, grandmother. The first Maybelle was a godly young woman who began to date a man who was not a believer in Christ. And she was wrestling with that decision. And they got engaged and set the date for the wedding. And then she got under conviction. This is wrong. He's not a believer. She broke the engagement. It was wintertime. And this man, who had a foul mouth and was a pagan, uh, he went home brokenhearted. And that night, he had a vivid dream about hell. It was so real that he crawled out of his bed and on the cold floorboards pleaded with God to save him. And he went to work the next day. Halfway through the day, they said, are you sick? And he said, what do you mean? No. Why would you ask? Because your mouth, you're not cursing today. You're not bad-mouthing anybody. You changed. And he said, I, I got saved last night. It changed him. Not only did it keep changing him, so that he married the Maybell, but then he became a circuit rider Methodist preacher and started a chain of godly Maybells. And boom, I got the last one. <laughs> but it changed his mouth. It changes your heart. Now that's the path in Christ. So you got to ask yourself, are you in Christ? Do you know how to tell? Look at your mouth. If it hasn't changed your mouth, you better go back and check. Do you really know Christ? Now, that's the path, but it has guardrails on it. And this is where we really start learning. And these can be ingrained into a church family and breathe health into it. First guardrail, it says in this verse, speaking in the sight of God. Put this in your mind every day. Whatever I speak, it's in the sight of God. I'm going to give an account for every word that comes out of my mouth. Now, Matthew 18 is a great help for us. This is Jesus talking to his church. And here's what he says. If your brother sins against you, did you catch that? He's assuming in a church family you're going to sin against each other. It's going to happen. If your brother sins against you, then go tell everybody else. No, he didn't say that. If your brother sins against you, go in him to private. Go in private only to that person. If he's listening, you're seeking to reconcile. You've won your brother, hallelujah. But if he won't listen, only then do you expand the circle. You take two or three trusted people, go to the brother, make an appeal to seek reconciliation. If he still won't listen... Only then do you expand the circle and you tell the church. And if he still won't listen, then the church is to treat him as a Gentile or a tax collector, an unbeliever. What do you do with Gentiles and tax collectors? You seek to win them back. The whole point is restoration 
when we hurt and offend each other and put a guard on your tongue. It's that one principle. If you offend me, I will go to you and fix it and not tell anybody else. That one principle can send revival to a church or any community. Whatever you speak, speak in the sight of God. Now look at the next guardrail. All for your upbuilding, beloved. Don't you love that? Are you the kind of person that is known for building people up? Are you known for being a gossip? I do this. I go around collecting good reports on people. Do you know why? Because it's easier to collect bad reports. I want to offset it. When I meet you, if I hear your story, I'm listening for a good report on you, and then I go spread good reports everywhere. Do you know what I do? I say to people this, you know, I heard a good report on you last week. Never once have I been turned down. What did they say? They love good reports. But you know what? I could say I heard garbage, and people want to hear that too. So which one are you going to be? All for your upbuilding, beloved. We need to put this into our homes for upbuilding. One of the ways, we have two sons, one's 42, one's 39, and this is the way we put them to bed every night, and they still love it, even though they're grown up. When they come home, they like this. Wisdom in your mind. Strengthen your body. Courage in your heart. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Touch spoken words building up. Be marked by that. I've been married to Maybell 48 years. And I want to tell you something that I'm thrilled that I can say. My wife's never given a bad report on me. And I've never given a bad report on her. My reputation is safe with that woman. And hers with me. And on my desk is one of my favorite possessions. It's a little rock. And Maybell wrote across it, you're my hero. How do you think that makes me feel? Now, in your marriage, when you have trouble, here's where a lot of people make a mistake. You go out and give a bad report on your own mate. Sometimes they're unbelievers, and you're spreading garbage about this person's an unbeliever, and then you wonder why they don't want to come to church where you've spread garbage about them. Hello. Make a covenant on your mouth about your family and not giving bad reports. My parents modeled this for me and blessed me in generations to come. I did not know until my father was dead all the garbage that his mother had done to him. Not until he was dead. In all my life, I honored my grandparents because I never once heard a bad report on them from my parents. Blesses generations. All for your upbuilding, beloved. Now that means we've got to be discerning. This is not uh, covering up evil, ignoring injustice, not, not speaking the truth. It's not that. So it takes discernment. So there are four words we need to know well. First, the difference between reproving and reviling. Think of reprove, re over and over again, prove. It means 
check the facts. Check it out first before you go spread. Examine your motives. Check it out with the purpose of building people up. That's reproving, and we're commanded to reprove each other. Jason Rail is a strong leader in our church. He just moved to Brussels six years ago, just came back, saw him two weeks ago, greeted him in the foyer. Here's my first words to Jason. Jason, there's a book in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 18, and because of you, I'll never forget it, and it changed my life. Really? I said, you probably don't remember, but I'll never forget it. Back then, eight years ago, we were doing a pastoral interview. You were an elder, a deacon, and my interview time came up to evaluate me, and you looked me in the eye and quoted that verse to me. What's the verse? The anger of man doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. And you gently and courageously looked me in the eye and said, Pastor King, you have an anger problem and accomplish the righteousness of God. I thank God for brothers like that. It changed me. That's reproving. Reviling, think of the word, revile. Over and over again, vile, wicked, evil, expose you, damn you, no grace, straight from the pit of hell. Now, I've been around a long time, and I know a whole lot of pastors. And a year or so ago, a lady called me up, first words out of her mouth, hardly greeted me, started trashing one of the pastors in the community. I stopped her immediately and said, why are you telling me this? And she went, blah, 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 and hung up on me. I'm glad she hung up. I would have... You don't do that. Now, two other words, the difference between discerning and judging. We are commanded to be discerning. Check every fact. Be marked by going first. Examine it so you can restore things that are broken. But judging, Jesus said, you are not to be a judge. And there's a huge difference between the two. If you're discerning, you're not playing God. You're checking all the facts. Your motive is to get the log out of your own eye and then deal with the speck and build people up. But a judge acts as if you're God. You know all the facts, final sentence, damn you, cancel you, write you off, zero grace. I heard of somebody who was in a church, a new member joined. They'd become friends with this new member. And then they saw them on the street walking toward them and they waved at the new member and totally ignored them. So this person was deeply offended and told several others how arrogant they were. I waved and they ignored me only to discover they'd just come out of the eye doctor's exam and they couldn't see anything. That's how you destroy churches. Now, here's what we need skill at doing. If this becomes a conviction, do you know the difference between a conviction and a preference? A preference is, I know it's right and it's good, but squeeze me and I'll change. A conviction is, I don't care what, I don't change on this. Make it a conviction. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 will mark my life. I'm living on the path of Christ. I speak in the sight of God, all for your upbuilding, beloved, and 
I create an environment where God can work and it shows up in my tongue. So here's what I want to ask you to do. Make that commitment today, right now, in your heart. Lord, make me a part of the solution. And here's what the Bible says. Put away all slander. Put off and put aside all gossip. Put slander behind you and replace it with being an intercessor for Christ. Learn how to graciously turn down invitations to hear bad reports and set an atmosphere of being one who gives good reports. And so will you join me right now in asking God to change our hearts so that we're on first string in his redemption and restoration work. I love your pastor. I love Portico. I'm praying this building becomes yours. I'm praying you'll fill this place up and the glory of God will spread through you all over the world. And I'm praying that we will all be intercessors, not accusers. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the Portico Church family. Thank you for all the good reports I've heard on them for years. Thank you that they love you and love your word, and they're here to advance your kingdom. And Lord, starting with me, I ask that you would work in all of us, that you would guard our tongues and change our hearts, and that we would be intercessors, not accusers. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.